Welcome to the Masters of the Air Debrief, the unofficial, official, unofficial podcast companion to <laughs> Apple TV Plus's Masters of the Air. Is it really Apple TV Plus? But let's start there. So this is a spiritual... <laughs> I, I, I'm going to hate how everyone's going to say the same thing, so we're going to try and deviate a little bit. Yeah. First off, my name's Tristan. My name is Madison. We're Inqua Podcast, but we're also big fans of movies, TV, shows, music, all the good things. So Masters of the Air is the third World War II limited series from... Steven Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment, and Tom Hanks and Playtone. Now, <laughs> that said, it must suck to be them a little bit to have the, the best that they've done be the first thing they've done. Band yeah. of Brothers was just impossible to beat. Amazing. So good. Did you ever watch the Pacific? I did not watch the Pacific, but I heard, you know mixed things about it that it wasn't as good as band of brothers so i'll say this i was doing a little research before the pod on the pacific because i was like okay how do we <laughs> how do we talk about the show the pacific won a ton of awards and was nominated for everything but it mm -hmm. came out of the weird time of like almost streaming but not fully streaming because it was 2010 2011 when it really got big mm -hmm. i don't think most people our generation watched it yeah, I don't think so. We were either moving on to streaming shows, and oh my gosh, we have Netflix on the TV. It was just a weird time. The yeah. other thing is, it was way darker than Band of Brothers. And Band of Brothers really? had dark moments, but it was way darker. I mean, yeah, Band of Brothers was kind of like a shining example of American heroism. <laughs> yeah, and there were like a few <clears throat> moments or episodes where you're like, that's dark. The Pacific was dark, dark. And I got into a fight with one of our mutual friends about the Pacific because the, <laughs> the book it was based on from E.B. Sledge really just dug deep into the dark side of war in general and how the good guys can be pretty bad, too, because it's war and war is hell. Mm. The show did not shy away from that, which was a bold move. Yeah. So the problem with the show is you see a U.S. Marine taking a Japanese soldier hostage and then taking his Bowie knife out and plucking the gold filling from his live mouth. And then everyone's just watching in horror. And then you have, you know, another character finally put the poor man out of his misery and just pop one on his head. And that was just difficult to watch. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> I mean, it sounds difficult to, yeah, to watch. To, to imagine. <laughs> yeah. So I think the Pacific went so strong, and it kept pretty close to E.B. Sledge's book, yeah. which turned, I think, a lot more people off. Because if they just watched Band of Brothers, and they're like, oh my gosh, America, we're the best. We went and beat the Nazis. Oh, we also beat the Japanese. Wait, <laughs> we did bad things too? That's not comfy. I mean, did, um, you see, did you see Fury with Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf? I haven't yet. That's one of the ones that's on my list. So that's another one where, like... You think it's going to be one thing, but it kind of is pretty dark. And it, it's the same thing where it's, it's in Europe, like Band of Brothers is. And it's about this tank battalion. And it definitely, I remember watching it and being like, oh, right. I guess like, you know, in the cover of war, it just kind of gives people permission to just be monsters. 
And yeah. they definitely didn't shy away from that in, I mean, sure. There were like acts of heroism in that movie, but there were the same thing of just like, Oh, in war, men will just become monsters no matter what side they're on. <laughs> yeah. There's a fantastic book by studs Turkle called the good war in quotes. It's an oral history of world war two. And all of it just takes stories and then data to be like, <laughs> looking back on war through a rose-colored glasses is a terrible idea, and here's why. Yeah. He talks about the number of reported and assumed <clears throat> unreported rapes on both sides of the war, and he's like, do you ever wonder why so many French people have Irish Catholic-looking kids? And it's like, <laughs> oh, or, you know, or otherwise, you have just a whole lot of young, horny Americans doing things anyways. Yeah. All this to say, there are some great books discussing how war is not great. Yeah. I will say, Masters of the Air paints it in a, in a more like Band of Brothers light, at least to me. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, just based on what I've seen in the first two episodes, I feel like the direction that they're going is more along the lines of a Band of Brothers, like these men did heroic things, but also war is horrible. To be in, to experience, and the the trauma that it's going to inflict on you is just immense. And I feel like that's the route that they're going to take instead of, like, we do dark, grisly, horrible things when we're in war. But it's it'll be dark. It, it, so far, it feels like it's dark in another way. Yeah, and I'll say, and I don't know if you notice this too or have a different opinion, but I feel like this is the first of the series where everyone looks really young. Like, really, yeah. really young. I think oftentimes we have, like, 35-year-olds playing 19, and you can just kind of tell. You're like, oh, they're young-ish. Um, yeah, no, I definitely... That was one of the first things that I that I noticed. I mean, they have a character named Babyface, and he looks like a legit legit teenager. Yeah. You know, you've got Austin Butler and what's the other, the other guy's name? Yeah, and they look like, they look like they're in their early 20s. Yeah. And, and the entire cast, even, like, Barry you know, Kyogen looks young and it's like, how are these guys have their rank? And these are just children ordering around children to do violence on each other. And I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And especially because this was the first, you know, this was still part of the army air force. I guess a little background for those who haven't watched the show yet. It's the story of the, the U S eighth army air force hundredth bomb group. Nicknamed the Bloody Hundredth, and the show shows you pretty quickly why. We're talking about a bunch of Midwestern and Pacific Northwest and Northeast kids who volunteered to fly these bombers. And World War I had some planes. We had some biplanes. I mean, they, they were setting time drop bombs just and, and tossing them out the side of the cockpit. We did yeah. not have the same level bombs. <laughs> I mean, there were some bigger bombers that came towards the end of World War I, but nothing to, to the efficiency and yeah. horror of what came out in World War II. So yeah. they're flying B-17 Flying Fortresses from Boeing. A 10-person crew. I have a couple stats. 10-person crew, 74 feet long, 103-foot wingspan, 19 feet high, 36,000 pounds empty, 54,000 pounds full with bombs. Four three-blade propellers with a maximum speed of 287 miles an hour, which is crazy. They're slower than the bullet trains we have, but whatever. Average speed of 182 miles an hour, 1350 cal guns, 
the super special Norden bombs I have to get into on some of the episodes. Nazis said it took about 20 hits from a 20 millimeter gun to bring down a B-17 from the side Holy of the cow. back. 20 hits. <laughs> now, now these German pilots, because they'd already been at war with the British for years, these German pilots had pretty shit accuracy. It was 2% accuracy. So they're like, oh, wow. You had to fire a thousand rounds to be able to take one down. Each plane only held 500 rounds, at least in 1942. Wow. So it wasn't like these things were going down, the whole fleet of them, every day. But especially when the Germans learned to attack the front of these airplanes, where it was just glass between these 20-year-olds and machine gun fire. They went down all the time. We have the story of, yeah, these kids in a new branch of the Army Air Force becoming air executives at 20 or 21. It just is insane to think about. Flying in giant tin cans in the sky with no medics on board. You just got a little bit of morphine. They were like, hope you survive, buddy. See you on the ground in six hours. Yeah, I, I can hardly, like, just, just watching the, the show, I think they do a really good job of kind of demonstrating that there's only, you know, a little bit of steel between these kids and 10,000 feet of, of empty air. You know, like, you know, they do a good job of showing that, like, hey, it's really cold in there. Like, yep. you know, these guys are dealing with frostbite and with, with touching metal that is really, really cold. And that, you know, there, it isn't like Top Gun, you know, which is, was a great movie, but like yeah. where, you know, you've got these, you're, you're just in like a fancy ass cockpit. And this is more like, no, these guys are just literally in a tin can 10,000 feet up in the air and they're just doing the best that they can. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's talk about, the first episode <clears throat> slump, I think, at least for these limited series, are usually mm-hmm. so bad. But this one felt a little different to me. It was still slower, yeah. but like you're just saying, they pointed out all the things that maybe the audience, at least I was not tuned into, of mm-hmm. it's freezing cold. You yeah. got to keep air masks on. And they're trying to talk. Some people get air sickness, like the narrator, Crosby, just puking yeah. his guts out. Yeah, you get a hole shot into a ball turret, and unless someone else comes and gets you out of there, you're just getting frostbite. Yeah. I mean, when the doctor talks about if these boys pee their pants while they're on a mission, it will literally be life or death. It is frostbite, and they're just peeling skin off when they land. Crazy to think about that. Yeah. Much, much less a navigator having to look at a map and a compass, and then looking out the window of these planes and being like we shouldn't be seeing land oops take a left that's just nuts nuts to think yeah about. absolutely nuts i think the, the first episode i really i really i mean i've enjoyed both the episodes that i've seen yeah. but the the first episode i think did a really good job you know the opening scene is of the two main characters i think they're both named bucky buck and bucky right so buck is austin butler buck's yeah. the more reserved non-gambling type bucky yeah. is the lively air executive yeah yeah so and it's them at a like you know at a dinner bar or whatever with two girls and they're you know being macho and stuff as you are before you go to war and you're wearing the uniform but i think by the end of the episode they you know they've gone through war they've been shot at with flak and with fighter enemy fighter pilots and there's a scene at the end where uh, austin butler's character asks talks is talking to the other character and he's like you've you've been here and you've experienced this how come you didn't tell me 
that this is what it was like. And he's like, how was I supposed to tell you that this is what it would be like out here? Yeah. And you can kind of just see some of the, 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 the mythicness of being a soldier fade from their eyes is just like, holy shit, we've got to deal with something really big. <laughs> yeah, Austin Butler's line right afterwards, I wrote down because it was so good. He says, we've got a long road ahead of us. And the way he trails off is like a, not only a longing for the way things were, but also a realization of they might not make it out alive because most of them won't, right? Yeah. It's not just a couple flyboys dropping some bombs and coming home every day. It's, oh, these tin cans have holes ripped in them. When he walks around the plane and looks at all the damage that's been done, that was so shocking to me because I don't think we usually get that. Once they mm-hmm. land a plane in a movie or get out of a tank, they walk away. Instead, he's like, this is my bird, and there are just gashes and holes where pure metal has just been peeled backwards. It was haunting, honestly. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I'm resistant to becoming an Austin Butler fan just because I don't know why I just have this inner resistance to like the up and coming Hollywood, the up and coming Hollywood hot guys. Yeah. But he does a really good job, you know, like I think of having that kind of, that arrogance is kind of in him, but he does a really good job of softening that and that there's a depth behind his performance that I'm that like, I, there's a lot of gravity to it and it's very, it's very compelling. Yeah, had you watched Elvis before? No, but I can hear it in his voice. (laughs) Okay, so here's my nerdy fun facts. I had to go digging around for the release this week. He spent three years working on Elvis with Baz Luhrmann. Getting the voice down, getting the look, practicing, recording, shoots, reshoots, three years. Between Elvis and the first episode of Masters of the Air, he had like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So he was already working with a dialect coach to get him out of speaking like Elvis, but you can hear it in the show. You're oh like, yeah, you can hear it. Yeah. All right, Elvis is flying the B seventeen. All right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, yeah, to your point, I was a little hesitant. I'm like, oh guy, don't put him in this. But now knowing that Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks were like, Elvis isn't even out, but put this kid in this right now. Yeah, speaks to how they saw his talent, and it is coming through of just. He, the way he turns from happy, cheery to grave is really impressive to watch in the first two episodes. It is. Yeah. Yeah. My one, my one hesitation is that it feels like in, I mean, this show is not going to get away without being compared to Band of Brothers. Yeah. It feels like in Band of Brothers, after the first episode, we kind of had, a, had an understanding of where the characters were going to go and what the arc was going to be over the course of a season. And I don't feel like I don't feel like this gave us that. Like, I don't understand. I just, the only thing I understand is that they're dropping bombs. And, you know, that, that could just yeah. be a function of them being in the air, the Air Force, rather than being on the ground. You know, because with Band of Brothers, there's just such a historical arc from like training to D-Day to, you know, to Normandy or whatever, to Battle of the Bulge, that there's just such a, you know, historical arc that we all already understand. But our unfamiliarity with, with the air battles I think maybe works against us as viewers a little bit as we just don't really understand kind of what the narrative arc is going to be. Yeah, and when we talk about battles of World War II now, I mean, mm-hmm. 80 years later, you don't usually talk about the bombing runs, to your point. Yeah. That unless you, like, I mean, I remember watching some of the classics when I was a kid, like the Memphis <laughs> Bell. 
all about these B-17s going on specific runs. Or, you know, you saw Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor, yeah, we got to go do the one retaliatory strike after Pearl Harbor. We want to go bomb Tokyo and get out of there. Okay, it's very clear. Yeah, These bombing runs, especially from, you know, Nor- Norfolk, England, <clears throat> over, it just seems a little less in our minds. And also, like, to your point, they're not on the ground pushing towards Germany. It's like, we're going to go bomb France. Episode two, we're bombing a U-boat sub, you know, base over in Norway. Did anyone even know that we bombed anything in Norway? I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. I will say, having I did go and see the, th- the first three episodes at a screening in, in L.A. Knowing the third episode, I'm going to give a little teaser and say, they did take a page out of the Game of Thrones book. Of you're watching all these characters, not all of them are going to make it, which I guess Banner Brothers did too in the early 2000s. Yeah. So it's just going to be more of the same. And I'm not exactly sure who we're going to see towards the end of the season, if it's going to be the same yeah. people. I mean, the, the teaser or the opening credits shows the Tuskegee Airmen and some other things in a prison. Mm-hmm. So we know it has to go some other places. But like yeah. you, I, I don't see a clear path of where we're going with this specific story. Yeah, but you know what? That's like my only piece of criticism. Because honestly, like, it's the cinematography is beautiful. Yeah. The effects, they did a really good job. You know, everything from the sound design to like when these things are getting shot up, it's pretty visceral and it's pretty yeah. punchy. You know, it doesn't just sound like little bearing balls pinging around inside of a Pringles can. Like, it, it's, a, it's punchy and it, it's, you know, I, I tend to be judging shows right now based on how much do I want to look at my phone. And I don't want to look at my phone at all when I'm watching the show, which is, uh, you know, I, you know, that's really, that's a, that's a horrible measure. (laughs) That's a good measure, but uh, you know, it really, it holds your attention really well and it is shot beautifully. The coloring like is so well done. Yeah. The only thing would be, it's obviously been shot on digital instead of film. And I, I kind of miss some of that, the warmth and the great, the grittiness that film brings. Like I almost wish that they could dirty the lens up a little bit just to, just to make it seem a little more grounded, even though we're in the air. Yeah. I mean, having lived in England for a little bit, I'm like, nah, this runway is not this, you know, blue skies and sunny <laughs> every day. This is a joke. When, the, when Barry Kilgan crash lands his plane in Scotland, I was like, did you find the one week of the year that Scotland was nice and blue? Like, this is just <laughs> impossible. It's not, it's a little cold and digital. I think some of the CGI at moments is questionable. Some of the planes, I'm like, ah, now that's just really cartoony. But for, yeah. for, for the most part, it seems to stay pretty well and true. Yeah, I mean, some of that is just like, how does a plane fall out of the air? And then your intuitive knowledge of physics is just like, ah, oh, that doesn't look right. But then, but then it just doesn't matter, you know, because it yeah. just kind of get, you get washed over with, you know, the sound design and the cinematography and stuff like that. But yeah, there are a few moments with, although this movie had a $250 million budget oh, or yeah. this, this series, Seriously. which is just absurd. That's just insane. It's, 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 massive it's crazy. <laughs> and they were filming during COVID, which, was rough, mm-hmm. but he, that 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 comes back to a little behind the scenes. HBO had first rights of refusal, and they turned it down. They were okay for a little while, and then they were like, 
Reshoots were expensive, and a little tyrant named David Zasloff got in charge, and they were like, nah, take it somewhere else. So, of course, Apple with their of course. giant wallet that doesn't even need the Apple TV Plus money was like, we'll fund it, whatever. Just, just do it. Yeah. Which must have been nice for Tom and Steven and the rest of them to be like, oh, mm-hmm. we got money to play with. And it shows. Because some of the scenes, some of the things you're watching, you're like, this had to be expensive for a very small moment of time. I mean, I got real nerdy and went looking for photos or footage of bombers being shot out of the sky and was surprised. To watch a flat gun blow just the wing off of an airplane and then it did the little like topsy-turvy spin, the corkscrew down, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that wasn't just because it was cheaper to animate. It was, that's what actually happened. Yeah. Wow. It helps to have nerds making movies so that nerds enjoying movies can feel justified. Yeah, well, you know, and like I said, this movie is not going to be able to get away from being compared with Band of Brothers, and Band of Brothers was so good that you can't, you can't, you can't try and make something that is going to be a follow-up or a spiritual successor without really leaning into it and, and, you know, giving it its budget, giving it its time and making sure that it's, it's done well. Yeah. And you look at where band of brothers and the Pacific took their cast afterwards. Cause I'll say this, these shows are watched by all the big wigs for the most part, all the execs. When I went to the screening, it was hundreds of people long on this line. And everyone in front of us is like, I make documentaries about war films. Oh, I do this. Oh, I know the producer. Oh, I know the costume designer. I work in here. I'm a studio. So you just kind of know, like, okay, this is watched by all the folks who are actually making the movies too. Band of Brothers, you had Damien Rice, who went on to Billions fame. You had, I mean, even Jimmy Fallon has a hot minute in there. Yeah, he You had does. Ron Livingston. You had Paul Giamatti. Well, no, sorry. Paul Giamatti was in Saving Private Ryan for a minute. Anyways, you have all these characters that then went on to do tons and tons of shows. Shows and movies. Then you have the Pacific. And since you didn't watch it, I don't know that you'd know this, but Rami Malek gets his start on the Pacific. He really? had done... He'd done Night at the Museum beforehand, and this is what catapulted him onto Mr. Roba and everything else he did. Wow. You had John Bernthal. He got, after the Pacific, he got Walking Dead. You had James Badge Dale, who was in Iron Man 3, World War Z, 13 Hours, and he also has been doing a lot of TV. You had Joseph Mazzello, who was the young kid in the first Jurassic Park. So Steven's like, hey, I got a job for you. Come on back and be... One of the big, you know, one of the soldiers here. He went on to Coma, American Crime Story. He played the bass player in Bohemian Rhapsody. You had John Seda, who's done Chicago PD, Hawaii Five-0, La Brea. So you have all these people who get their start. So now that we know Austin Butler, Barry Kilgan, they're already huge. Yeah. There's so many more actors where I'm like, okay, Callum Turner, people have seen before. He's been in other shows. He's in The He's- Boys in the Boat. Boys in the Boat. He was in. Oh, I want to say the Hunger, the newest Hunger Game movie. He was in the newest Hunger Game movie. He was in something else that all the girls were talking about in line, and I can't. Remember <laughs> all the girls. All the girls. But then I think you also have Anthony Boyle, who is the narrator and who plays Crosby, the navigator. Yeah. Was in Danny Boy, which is like a BBC ITV show. Tolkien yeah. with Nicholas Holt. Yeah. The Plot Against America, Tetris, and for two episodes in Dairy Girls, which I do love Dairy Girls. 
Oh, Durgles is fantastic. So I'm just watching this and seeing their skills, and I'm like, oh, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, who else was in this? What's how do you? He's the new Doctor Who. He was in Sex Education. How do you? He's got a name that I'm. It's hard for me to pronounce. Shudi Got Gatwa. I was hoping you were going to pronounce it because, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I think it's Shudi Gatwa. Loved him in Sex Education. Phenomenal. I haven't seen Doctor Who, but like he's he's. I think he's an up and coming um, person. That I think you're right. That 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 these kinds of series exist as a platform for a lot of these up and coming actors to really like show their stuff. And so I'm excited to see where, where he goes, but also I feel like band of brothers had a lot of cameos. Oh yeah. A bunch. Of just like, of just like big name people who were there for all of three minutes making a cameo. And I'm like, oh, I wonder who's going to pop up in this show. Yeah. It's funny. Cause IMDb is listed off most people, but I don't know if they put everybody on there. Yeah, um, and in looking, I was like, "There's a few names I recognize, but no one, <clears throat> no one huge like Band of Brothers was." Yeah, but who knows? Maybe they're going to wait till the day of the episode coming out to put some of those people on IMDb. They sometimes yeah. do that to tease it. I'm not sure. I mean, I know Matt Damon loves to have uncredited cameos in movies. So <laughs> <laughs> good old and Matt Damon. Good old Private Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested, especially knowing there's going to be something on the Tuskegee Airmen, just from the in- yeah the intro of the show. I'm like, it'll be fun that they're not just telling just the same story the whole way through. They're going to weave in a couple more to yeah. make it more interesting, but also just not to have a mono story the whole way through. Yeah. All right, so it sounds like we're both fans, and we're going to like doing the series. Um, Absolutely. Next week, oh, well, sorry, this week, the first two episodes came out. Next week, episode three and on. So we'll have another recap for next week for episode three. Yeah, I did watch episode three last night, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. I know. And having known that I've already done it, too, I'm like, we want to talk about it. But we'll save it for the next yeah, one. Yeah, we'll save the it. Next one. Well, enjoy the episodes if everyone has not watched them yet. Again, they're on Apple TV+. Plus. The first two episodes are out, and the next one comes out next Friday, which is already February. So Friday, February the 2nd.